0: So, so far from our study of First John, uh, we have learned that as Christians, uh, we will always continue to struggle with sin. Um, and he doesn't say, John doesn't tell us it's all right to sin, uh, but rather we need to have a biblical understanding of, of the sin and of our need to be constantly confessing and repenting of our sins. Of course, while we pursue godliness and, and righteousness. And last week we learned that the basis of our righteousness in Christ is in Christ alone. He is our advocate. Um, he is the one who is perfectly righteous. He is the one who is our propitiation for our sins. So now, from dealing with sin, of course, he was dealing with the false teachers. Um, he was dealing with a proper view of what, um, how the Christian should live. There their life and how Christians should deal with sin, the Apostle John now moves to another subject. And his subject is how one can know that one knows God. And that's what we're going to look at in 1 John chapter 2. Um, We're going to look at four verses this morning from verse 3 to 6. But if you would turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, we'll read all the verses in chapter 2 till verse 6. So my little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's pray. Father, thank you indeed that we can meet here this morning. We don't take it for granted, Lord. Thank you we can open your word And we don't take that for granted either. Lord, we know there are many people around the world who will meet even this weekend in secret. Not able to own their own Bibles. Not able to openly declare your praises with their voices. We thank you, Lord, that we can do this without any restrictions. We thank you for this government and the freedom they give us to worship. We pray, Lord, that we would not take these privileges for granted and that we would use these blessings, Lord, to further into your kingdom here in the Middle East. We pray, Lord, that you would start with us right here this morning. Father, that we would be equipped, that we would be prepared to see our sin as you see it, that we would not be hypocrites, we would not be Pharisees, Lord, and try to justify our sins, but rather, Lord, we would understand what our sin is in in light of a holy God and that we would call out on the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Father, that we would not justify our sins, we would not make excuses for our sins and that we would not continue in our sins as believers but that we would walk in the light as you are in the light. So we thank you for the righteousness of Jesus. We thank you that he is our righteousness. We thank you, Lord, that he has the power to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord, this morning we pray you open our eyes to the teachings from your scriptures. And you would help us to know for sure that we are truly your children. And, Lord, in a room this size, there's, there, there, there's bound to be someone in this room who is, who is lost in essence. There's bound to be someone here, Lord, who is deceived in essence. So, Lord, we don't just want to play the game of Christianity and speak the language of Christianese. We want to make sure today that we have a relationship with you. A saving relationship with you. So we pray that your word would show us, Lord. And that you will give us the grace we need. The humility we need this morning. Even as we go to the Lord's table. To confess our sins. And to be right with you. So we ask for your help. We ask for your spirit to teach us and lead us. And it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So how many here this morning have heard of the band The Beatles? Okay, most, most everybody here has. And if we were having a conversation and I, and I asked you and I said, do you know The Beatles? You would probably say that, that yes, you do. And my guess is that You've never really actually met them. I doubt that anybody here actually knows Paul McCartney or or Ringo Starr, maybe. Anybody? Nobody? Um, John Lennon or, or George Harrison. You know about them, but you do not know them personally. You've never met them personally. And I believe that is the case with many who profess to know Jesus. They have heard about him. They have read about him. But they have never come to know him personally as their Lord and Savior. And there's no evidence in their lives that they have ever had a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we look at our scripture this morning, John will help us understand what it is like to truly know Jesus. Someone asked me this week, what evidence is there in scripture that can help us know for sure that we know Jesus? Jesus. Well, we have this here in the book of First John. How do we know we are children of God? You know, some false teachers would say that evidence of salvation is speaking in tongues. That's not biblical. That's a false teaching. You know, others would teach that a second baptism of the Holy Spirit is evidence of your salvation. That's not biblical either. That's that's false teaching. Others would say, well, you need to be a member of the church. Well, that's not fully correct. Well, Christians, what would you say? If your, if your daughter, if your son came up to you and asked you, how do you know that you know Jesus and that you belong to him? What would your, what would your answer be to them? And this is an important question that I'm sure we all have thought about at one time or another. Now, Christian assurance is, is very important to all who understand the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to all who understand the greatness of their sin and, and the greatness of the misery and, of course, their great need for a Savior. This is an important question. And thankfully, John helps us answer this question here this morning. And as we heard last week, those who claim to have fellowship with God, remember, God is light. Those who claim to have fellowship with him, need to be walking in the light. We need to be confessing our sins, and we need to be relying and trusting on Jesus Christ. Now from dealing with sin, and dealing with false teaching about sin, and dealing with the proper view of sin in in a Christian's life, John now moves on to another subject. And his subject is, how can one know that one knows God? And I use those words because those come exactly from the scriptures. How can you be assured that you know God? How can you be assured that you are a Christian? So there's three points to my message this morning. The title is the test of obedience. And the three points simply in verse 3 is knowing. This is the test of knowing the second point is obeying, in verse 4 and 5. And the third point is abiding. And we'll look at all of those separately this morning. But in verse 3, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him. So remember John's purpose in writing this letter. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. This is the purpose right here that he tells us why he has written this letter. And he says that you may know that you have eternal life. So remember, he was writing to to children, his his spiritual children, the, the church that was being taught all these false doctrines about what it means to be a Christian. And now he's helping them understand how they know for sure that they are in Christ, that they have fellowship with Christ. And of course, eternal life is more than just living forever. It's not just about quantity. Eternal life is more about quality. One preacher, Louis Giglio, he he once said, everyone wants to go to heaven, but not everybody wants Jesus. Of course, eternal life is more than just living forever. It includes an intimate relationship with Christ, with the, the triune God. And in verse 3, John speaks of coming to know Jesus Christ. This is an intimate knowledge. And the type of knowledge that John is speaking about is not just an abstract, intellectual, academic understanding of who God is. That is not what he's talking about. This would have been the sort of thing that the false teachers would have boasted about during, during this time. According to one commentator, in the classical Greek period, there was almost unlimited confidence in human reason. And the early Greeks believed that accurate knowledge of all things, including God, was attainable just by knowledge. And of course, they believed that they could arrive at God by just the process of reasoning. You didn't have to have faith. You didn't have to have a relationship. You just needed to reason. And this, of course, was just philosophy. It was just pagan philosophy, worldly philosophy. But according to God's revelation in the Bible, God's self-revealed revelation in the Bible, knowledge of God is much more intimate than knowing about Him, or even knowing all of the answers to a, to a theological quiz, Knowing God is an intimate fellowship. It's, it's a personal experience. It's personal and practical. Someone once asked a preacher, how do you know you saved? And the preacher once said, well, I was there when it happened. I know. It's a personal experience. It's a covenantal relationship. Very much like marriage. In the same way today, to say that one knows God is to say that we have an intimate covenant relationship with God. In the New Testament, the church is called the bride of Christ, isn't it? And that picture of marriage is is there to help us understand this relationship that we share with God. A covenant relationship involves more than just an intellectual academic understanding. It involves a commitment. It involves a commitment to love and to cherish in this covenant relationship. And how do we know that we know him? How do we know that we have this covenantal relationship? How is it that a person comes to know that he or she really knows the the living God, really has a saving relationship, really has personal fellowship with God? And that's the question that, that John is asking here. And the tests that he gives in this passage are really designed to Help us come to a firm and a very certain understanding to these very important questions. We see in verse 2, the test of obedience. He says, sorry, in verse 3. 1 John 2 verse 3. By this we know that we have come to him if we keep his commandments. My second point this morning is, The test of obedience. And John's point is, how can we claim to know Jesus if we don't even know what pleases Him? Going back to our marriage illustration, think about the vows that, that couples make in a marriage ceremony. You wouldn't say, well, I vow to know you or I vow to know about you. I vow to memorize your name and, and answer all the, the questions people will ask about you. No. I mean, vows like this only involve, obviously, intellectual knowledge. But when we get married, we vow something more than just a simple understanding of that person. We vow to to love our spouse. We vow to love them for better or for worse. We vow to lo- love them in sickness and in health. We, we vow to to cherish them and to love them until death separates us. And our love for our spouses then obviously demonstrated the very next day. The very next day after the honeymoon when real life sets in. We love them unconditionally and there's a commitment that is demonstrated in your actions. In the way that you behave. And I Actions are confirmation of our vows. People often ask me, when is your anniversary? And, I, and I, I seem to fumble on that question so often, and they laugh at me. I mean, the reason is, I mean, I should know when my anniversary is. You should know when your anniversary is. That's the day that you vow to marry and look after your wife for the rest of your life, or your husband for the rest of your life it was a special day. And it's, a, it's not just a day that was academic. It was a day where you made a covenant. It was a day that you, you vowed to love and to cherish. And when we love and obey Christ, we know Christ. We love Christ because we know what pleases Him. We want to please Him. We study His word so that we can understand what His will is. So that we can follow His will. Not just academically but because we love Him. Now, how often have we as husbands tried to please our wives, especially in the first few years of our marriage, and our wives would respond, You don't really know me. Maybe for a birthday you bought her a box of chocolates, and she may be allergic to chocolates, or chocolates make her fat so she doesn't want chocolates, and you get in trouble for getting something that she didn't want. You don't know me. Well that's that's our whole purpose is to get to know our wife, isn't it? That's why we've committed to loving them the rest of our lives, getting to know them, not just intellectually, personally. And part of knowing someone is knowing what pleases them. And then of course actually doing those things that are pleasing to the to the one that we love. I mean you can try to say that you know your spouse, but until you spend time with your spouse until you listen and learn what pleases them and then act upon that knowledge, you don't know and love your, your spouse as you should. You see, John is telling us that you can't separate knowledge from God and you can't separate love from your actions. You can't just say you love somebody and then in your actions never follow that up. And Later in First John chapter 5, In verse 3, John says, This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Of course, in the same way, John is telling us here that we know and love God in Christ by keeping Christ's commandments. Now, again, I want to stress here, John is not asking the question, How do we come to know God? He's not saying that. He's not dealing with that here. He's not saying, If you want to come to know God, Here's how you do it. You just obey. That's not the issue. He's not talking about salvation here. He's not dealing with how we are declared righteous before God. He's not dealing with how you receive the grace of God here either. He's not saying if you want to receive God's grace, then just do this. Just obey. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, here's how you know that you know God. That's what he's saying here. It's manifested in the way that you live. He's not teaching a doctrine of works here. He's not teaching you are saved by doing works. What he's saying is the fruit of your salvation is displayed in your works. First is the root and then comes the fruit. If you are not rooted in Christ... There will be no fruit of Christ in your life. The evidence of your salvation is your desire to want to live a holy life. The evidence of your salvation is your obedience to Christ. And that obedience should lead to your assurance. If you have no desire to want to obey the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have no desire... To want to obey the word of God, there's a problem. I'm not saying we do this perfectly all the time. We saw that last week. If we say that we are without sin, we are liars. But there has to be this desire to want to please the Lord. And the first test is very simple Do you obey God's word? That's the test. Do you obey God's word? I mean, look at this. We know that we know God by keeping His commandments. So do you strive to keep God's commandments? There's test number one. Is the Bible your final rule for faith and practice? He's saying here that One way grace is evidenced in the life of a person who claims to be a Christian is in his obedience to the Scriptures. There are many philosophies, there are many types of theories out there. But which one are you committed to? Is the Word of God your final rule for faith and practice? John then applies this test to the one who professes to know God Without obedience. Look at verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So, how can a person claim to know Jesus Christ if they do not keep his commandments? What John is saying, if you claim to know God, but your life is not changed by knowing him, That is a certain sign that you don't know him. That you are fooling yourself. He doesn't simply say that this person is self-deceived. He calls this person a liar. Those are strong words. You're a liar. You're lying to everybody else and you're lying to yourself. Now this is an important point for us to, to meditate on, to think about. How often do people today... Claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus. They may they may say something like Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship with Jesus. Now that may sound nice. And it's partially true. But usually by this they mean. That it's not about rules, it's not about religious rules and regulations, but about a spontaneous and a free relationship where I can express myself to Jesus in any way I want, in any creative way that I want. And this is a lie. This is a lie. An acquaintance of mine this week sent me a a video that he recorded when he was doing some street preaching at a gay parade in California. And while he was preaching, a crowd gathered around him and a young lady holding the rainbow flag wrapped around her her neck started shouting at him and using obscene language and said, I love Jesus and I have a personal relationship with Jesus. What gives you the right to call me a sinner? And he went to John chapter 14 verse 15 where God says, If you love me, Keep my commandments. See, this woman thought that she can love God in her own terms. That's what all unbelievers do. They think they can create their own God in their own mind and worship Him in their own terms. The evidence of a true believer is someone who obeys the scriptures, someone who obeys the Word of God. Truth always leads to love. And it always leads to obedience. Think about the relationship with your children for a moment. If your children say that they love you and they don't obey you, there's a problem. Truth always leads to love, and it always leads to obedience, and it always leads to a transformed life in the life of a believer. And when this transformed life is not there, this new life is not there, then you can be certain that that person has never had the truth of God in their lives. They've never met God. They've never met the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the life, and the truth. There is no knowledge of God that does not also lead to us keeping His commandments. And I hope we have already established that as we went through the Ten Commandments. Many people say the Ten Commandments are not for us today. We are in the period of grace. The Ten Commandments are very much for us today. They're moral principles which we need to live by. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we love Jesus. Because we love God. And we want to honor Him. We want to glorify Him. True grace always reigns in righteousness. That's what Paul tells us in in Romans chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 2, he tells us grace and salvation always lead to obedience. And in Romans chapter 8, justification is always accompanied by sanctification. Faith always shows itself in works. Faith without works is dead, the Apostle James tells us that. And those are just different biblical ways of stressing the same point that, that John is making here in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Truth always expresses itself in action. Our belief will always affect our behavior. Belief will always affect our behavior. Faith, trust, and real knowledge of God are always expressed in action, especially in the action of obeying God's commandments. And so we know that we don't know God if we don't want to keep His commandments. John says of such people, verse 5, look there with me if you would, whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is Perfected. Now, something you might be thinking as you read John's word is, how can anyone pass this test? Are we perfectly obedient? Of course, that's a good question, especially if you remember last week's sermon. And that's why it's so important that we always remember the context of this passage here. John's not losing his his short-term memory, like like Dory does in, in Finding Nemo, he said in 1 John 1 eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. He said in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and His word is not in us. So we have to read this, this whole letter together as a unit. The Christian life is not one of sinless perfection. Let me remind you of that quote from John Piper. A Christian is not sinless. A Christian is someone who has a sin conscience. We hate our sin. We don't enjoy it anymore. So John is not speaking of perfect obedience, but he is speaking of progressive obedience. We're doing our best to progress in our obedience, in our holiness. And of course, with some people... It goes faster than others. Some people it's, it's slower and it takes more time. But the bottom line is that our heart's desire deep down to obey God. Our heart's desire is to progress in our sanctification, in our holiness. And the one who claims to know God is the one who is confessing their sins. Is the one who counts on Christ who is our righteousness, is the one who trusts, the only one who is our advocate and depends on Him who is the propitiation for our sins. And we know this is only a result of God's grace. It's not something that we can do on our own. This is all by God's grace. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you may be moving slowly, but the point is that you are moving. Let me ask you some questions. Do you love God? Do you long to obey him more and more, even though you know that, that you are a sinner? And even though you struggle with sin... Do you want to obey Him? Does your love for Him motivate you to keep His commandments? Even though you don't do it perfectly. What is your motivation this morning? And finally, when you sin, do you you count on Christ, your, your righteous advocate, for the forgiveness of your sins? Or do you sweep them under the carpet? Do you call upon the grace of God So if you can answer these questions, you you can know that you have eternal life. You can know that you are saved. Let me put it in context here. Unbelievers do not struggle with sin. Unbelievers are slaves to their sin. If you are struggling and fighting to put to death your sin, that is evidence that you know Jesus Christ. That is evidence there. And you can rest in Him today. And you can be assured that you know Him because of the struggle that is within you. And as we apply this test of obedience, we must remember that our, our faith is not grounded on our works, on the things that we do. This is a test of obedience. It's not the condition for knowing Christ, but it's the characteristic of knowing Christ. We will struggle with our sin because we hate it. Because we're still in this corrupt fleshly body. And we desire for the Lord to return when we will be free from this corrupt world and the sin. Our faith is grounded in the righteousness of Christ, not our own righteousness, because we know we are not. Our works are evidence and, and fruit. That we truly belong to the Lord by grace alone. We all know Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Verse 9. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are not saved by things that we do. But the things that we do are evidence, are declarations of our faith in Christ. And one evidence of knowing Jesus is obeying his commandments. Now John puts it another way and gives us the second evidence that we know Jesus in verse 3, my last point this morning. Sorry, our third point. Verse five: abiding. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, John Calvin, a famous reformer, he once said, "The doctrine of the gospel is a lively mirror in which we contemplate the image of God. And are transformed into the same. As Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, when you meditate on the gospel, when you meditate on the, the word of God, you love God For what he has done in Jesus Christ. You are thankful for the gospel which has saved you from your sins. We know this was given to us by faith. And you cannot help but walk in his ways out of gratitude, out of thankfulness. And it is the same principle at work when when you begin to copy a person that that you admire. I think of my children when they were younger, maybe I hope till this day, when they started trying to put on my clothes and they would put on these big shirts and they would put on the big pants and they would put on the big socks and big shoes, wanting to imitate me, wanting to walk like I did, because they admired their father. And I hope that's the same with you and your heavenly father, that you admire him and you are thankful For the grace of God in saving you from your sin. And you want to please Him and you want to obey Him because you love Him. Now, John Newton, he's the author of the famous hymn Amazing Grace. If you know his story, you would remember that he was a captain of a ship that traded slaves, that stole people from Africa and sold them as slaves. In Europe. And then the grace of God transformed his life, convicted him of his sins, and made him a new creature. And he left that occupation and he fought against the the, the, the slavery till till the day he died. He became a, a minister of the gospel. And he wrote that wonderful song, Amazing Grace. And he once wrote and he said, Whoever has tasted of the love of Christ and has known by his own experience the need and the worth of redemption, they are enabled. Yea, he is constrained to love his fellow creatures. He loves them at first sight. By this we know that we are in him. If we love our Lord, but also if we love the things that our Lord loves. So let me ask you this question this morning. Do you love the lost? Do you have a love for the lost? Do you love the grace of God that saved you from your sin? But what about the the grace of God that is there for those that still need to be saved? And the more we behold the glory of Christ in his word, the more we are transformed into the image of Christ by the Spirit of God and we start to love people in the same way that, that Christ loved us. And we start to love the lost like Christ did. And John speaks of our union with Christ when, when he says in verse 5, By this we know that we are in Him. It brings to mind the words of Jesus, doesn't it, in, in John 15. And we read that this morning. The abide passage. But Jesus said in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And then he says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in me. Verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There are so many similarities between John 15 and the passage that we are looking at this morning here in chapter 2. <coughs> Abiding in Jesus means bearing fruit by obeying His commandments. And in particular, the command to to love one another. And these are exactly the things that, that John wants us to learn. He wants us to examine. He wants us to see and know for sure that we are saved. Do we love Christ? Do we love His Word? Do we want to obey it? And do we love others that are in the faith? And Do we have a love for the lost? Are we being fruitful Are we bearing fruit for our Savior's glory? The Lord didn't just save us so that we can stagnate and sit around and and sing kumbaya. The Lord saved us for a purpose. To glorify Him. And how do we glorify Him? By bearing much fruit. We cannot bear fruit if we are not obeying the scriptures. We cannot bear fruit if we are walking in darkness. We can only bear fruit if we are walking close to the one who is the light. It's an example, I remember of a a dinner plate that is left overnight and in the morning it's difficult to, to wash because the dirt and the rubbish has become hard on it. But the alternative is to Put that dirty plate in soaking water with with some soap overnight, and you let this dish abide in this soapy water. And the longer it abides in that soapy water, the easier it is to, to clean, isn't it? That's a wonderful example. It's much easier for us to repent of our sins when we are abiding in Christ. The further we are away from the light, the more hard we get in our our hearts. And the more sin builds up, the more and more guilty we feel. And the more and more convicted we feel. And that's why we need to walk close to the one who is the light. And the only way we do that is by obeying His word. Not by... Watching different philosophies that this world will want to make us believe that Satan will want to distract us with, but by reading his his word, you know religion will tell us just take that dirty plate and just scrape off the dirt. Use as much energy and as much effort as you need. Just scrape it off. Do all the work you need to do. But the scriptures tell us soak. Abide. Abide in Christ. Sit with Christ. Live with Christ. And abiding will set you free. The truth will set you free. So this morning as we come together for communion service, I thought this was an appropriate place for us to examine ourselves this morning. And we'll look more at this as soon as we go into the communion service. But are you right with the Lord? Do you know for sure that you are saved? Is there evidence of obedience? Is there evidence? Is there a desire for Christ in your life? Are you walking in the light as He is in the light? Please don't leave this morning without making sure that your sins are forgiven. Don't leave this morning without knowing that you are right with God. God has shown us his word and the spirit of God is applying this to us. If you were to leave today and you were to die in a car accident, God forbid, are you 100% sure you know where you would go? Make sure your heart is right with God this morning. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It really is so practical, Lord. If we were just willing to hear it. And I pray this morning that our ears were open to the teaching of the Word of God. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would have exposed the areas in our lives that we have fallen short of, that we need to confess, and that we would get right with you. So, Lord, I pray for those believers this morning that are desiring to honor you with their lives thank you for them and help us lord to come alongside each other and encourage each other with this race that you have asked us to run and thank you for believers this morning that are already doing that and thank you for this fellowship lord that we can be part of that encourages us to do that lord we pray for those that are are not part of this body of believers Those who are still just looking from the outside in. Those who are deceived. Those who are lying to themselves. We pray this morning that you would grant them the grace they need to repent of their sins. And to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. For the sake of your great name and for the joy of your people, I ask this prayer. Amen.